What is a deacon? Why do we have deacons? Or maybe more specifically, what's the origin of deacons? If you haven't turned there already, would you join me in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, our key text today, as we talk about deacons in our sermon series, The Spirit, the Church, and the World. God's Spirit sent to earth to indwell believers in Jesus, to establish the church, Christ followers, to take the gospel to the world. So we start at the very beginning, a very good place to start, and I won't sing this song, thank you very much. And we ask, why deacons, and what is their origin? What are deacons supposed to do? Well, we find that in our text today, Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Now, a little context, however. With the establishing of the church here, the devil is at work. He's been at work. We've seen that these past few Sundays as we've studied together. But if you turn back in your Bibles, whether you've got a paper one or an electronic one, in Acts chapter 4, you see the devil trying to attack the church through persecution. The Sanhedrin, the very same Sanhedrin that handed Jesus over to death that was involved in that is now bringing the apostles before them and saying, hey, you can't preach, you shouldn't do this. Stop teaching in the name of Jesus. Well, the first church overcomes that. The devil tries a second attack, and that's corruption from within the church. So persecution from outside the church couldn't work, so now he tries corruption from within the church, and that's Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. It wasn't that they didn't give all the money from the proceeds of the sale of their land to the church. It was that they lied about it as if they had. They wanted their spiritual props plus some money too. And so that corruption from within inside the church... If he couldn't preoccupy with the apostles, with administration and not their calling, the devil was going to try something else here. And what we see today is the third attack on the early church and the reaction of the church to that. So if you're able to stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word, would you stand together as we read this short passage of Scripture, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, they looked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. We will turn this Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Verse 5, the proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man of full of faith and the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Hermaeus, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Would you pray with me? God, our Father, like always, after we read our scripture, we pray. And why do we pray? that you might speak to us by the very same Spirit that was at work then, even today, that your Spirit that inhabits each and every believer would tell us what we need to hear as individuals, would help us with anything that's troubling us, 
would give us the direction we need and guidance, not just the knowledge, but the wisdom of how to apply it. So, Father, as we open Your Word today and as we see from this text what You did with the first church, we pray that You'd speak to us about what You desire to do for our church and for all churches, even today. We thank You, God, for Your presence among us by Your Spirit. We thank You for Your love for us shown through Jesus, and we pray it in His name. And everyone here said, Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. The first point on your outline this morning is the need for deacons. The need for deacons. And maybe you have a paper bulletin that you can get back there at the information counter, or you're looking at it on Version. So Version, the Bible app down in the bottom corner, there's events. You can click and you get it there. Or, of course, you can follow it on the screen here. But the need for deacons, and we see that in three different verses in this text. And the first of those, verse 1, says, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing. Now, it's interesting here that Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, doesn't tell us anything more than other than in those days. Commentators conjecture, imagine based on what happens next and the time periods in the book of Acts when there are things that we can date historically because of who's in charge and what happened where and when and all those kind of things using extra biblical, that's outside the Bible sources to help us corroborate these, that this phrase in those days may actually be up to five years after Pentecost. So think about this. The believers who were Initially saved at Pentecost, some of them were gathered together before, but excuse me, they were filled with the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, and more of them came and were baptized on Pentecost, and then we even have what happened in Acts chapter 3 and chapter 4 and chapter 5, as more believers and more believers and more believers in Jerusalem made up the church. And at this time, you have to imagine that there were many house churches, maybe dozens, maybe hundreds, because they probably didn't have a space like this they could fit in, much less one that would seat thousands of believers. And of course, some had gone out back to where they had lived or moved, just like happens these days. But in those days, maybe a longer time than we imagine. So we just have to have that in our minds. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, so the believers in Jesus, Christ's followers, were still increasing then look at what begins to be the problem. The Grecian Jews, or yours may say Hellenistic Jews, and the Hebraic Jews uh, had a disagreement. And the disagreement's pretty simple. The Grecian or Hellenistic Jews, that means that culturally their first language was probably Greek, and they were more Roman in their outlook, even though they were Jewish, versus those that are referred to as Hebraic Jews, those who culturally, their first language was Aramaic. And so they're both Jews, but they may be from different places or may have been raised in different cultures, just like even in our sanctuary today. We have those of us that uh, grew up in a Southern Baptist church, those of us that grew up in a church of a different type. We're a little bit different in our culture. Those of us that grew up in the Eastern United States, those of us who grew up in the Western United States, those of us who grew up outside the United States, and we all come together with our different views, which sometimes can cause some friction. And what was the friction here? The friction, we go, man, that's not fair. The Hellenistic Jews said the Hebraic Jews are getting preferred in the distribution of food. Think about the principles that were established. We saw it at the end of Acts chapter 2, the end of Acts chapter 4, that they shared their goods, they met the needs, and that no one had needs among them. So something that had developed as a habit for the church was sharing and meeting the needs of widows. There was no Social Security administration back then, and if you didn't have a family that could take you in into their house, 
Your church looked after you and became your family for you. Just like we see today, our church should care for those that don't have a place to belong. So verse 2, when the 12 apostles heard this, they gathered all the disciples. I don't know how many all that means, but uh, as again, as I said, it could be thousands, so all may not mean actually all here. And they said, it wouldn't be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. Now, there's no hint that they saw waiting on tables as inferior to their pastoral work or beneath their dignity or anything like that. They're simply seeking a solution so they could continue to focus on what God called them to do. The apostles were basically the first pastors, right? And in the New Testament, we see that pastor, elder, these words are used interchangeably. Overseer, particularly 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, outlines that for us that we build that part of our theology on. And so at this point, that's who these guys are, the pastors. And so skip down to verse 4, they again say, and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So their hope, their desire, their purpose was to be able to focus on pastoral ministry to allow the deacons to serve the church. So the need here was a simple one. One group of widows being overlooked in regards to the distribution of food versus another group of elders or widows. But what was the underlying? This is the next point on your outline. Division within the church. Division within the church. The devil tried persecution. The devil tried corruption. Now he was going to try division and disunity. Because within the church you had these two groups maybe even equally represented. Even though they were all Jewish and even though they were all now believers in Jesus, they had different cultures and then they were being treated differently. So though the need was equity in food distribution... Unity was the foundational issue here. Unity, the underlying thing. Some of you, many of you may be homeowners, and I pray you haven't dealt with foundation issues, but if you have lived in some place with clay soils like Nebraska or Texas where I grew up, you may know the bane of a homeowner is foundation problems, right? I can remember, and you can still see them today, the commercials that say, do you have cracks in your walls and floors? Do your doors stick and your windows? You know, all those kind of things you hear. You know, call the foundation experts. And there's a guy standing there, and they show you how they make it look lovely. The same thing happens with our church, doesn't it? Our purpose as a church is the gospel. That's what the book of Acts is about. Jesus saves sinners is the gospel. And the book of Acts is about Jesus saving a group of sinners in order that they may be a part of saving more sinners so the church may grow and we can spread the influence of God by His Holy Spirit throughout the entire world. Yet, the thing that threatens the mission of the church maybe more than anything is unity within the church. And that is why deacons were established. Deacons were established in order to help protect the unity of of the church. Let's move on to your next point there. They complement the pastoral role. Complement with an E in the middle, not an I. Complement with an I in the middle means, hey, pastor, that was a good sermon today. Okay, that's that kind of compliment. But complement the pastoral role as I have my job in the church and the deacons have their job in the church and together we 
Meet the needs of the church. Complement, complete. That's the same idea there, right? They complement the pastoral role. It's stated twice here. They say in verse 2, in order that we might not neglect the ministry of the Word. And verse 4, in order to give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Yes, we know deacons that preach and deacons that teach. And yes, we know pastors that serve. If we have a work day, I'm going to be up here. I'm apparently known to have my blower out and blow things in a work day. I like to get all the weeds and grass and dirt blown off the parking lot inside. Can, can I help it? I like it to look good. But I'll be up here working side by side with one another. So surely pastors and deacons share some roles. There's some overlap in that Venn diagram. But the primary role of the deacon is to meet the needs of the church by service. And the primary role of the pastor is to shepherd the church through the word and through prayer. And their complementary roles. Why? The gospel. Jesus saves sinners. The church. God calls us to a ministry. And as Christ followers, we are called to be those who win others to Christ and grow them for Christ. The gospel is the reason for deacons and protecting the unity of the church in order that the gospel might grow is the reason for deacons. So then you have your application question there. And that is how Do deacons preserve unity in our church? Well, they meet needs, they minister, they listen, they provide care, they provide assistance. Beyond that, that greater issue of unity, that deacons may be the sounding board for pastors when we have, hey, how do we do this? What do you guys think? You're connected to our church. Or they may be the go-between with members and a pastor. When a member has an issue with something a pastor has said or done, they might contact their deacon because they're like, I'm not sure how to talk to the pastor about this. So deacons may seek to listen, to care, to do anything they can in order to seek to preserve unity in the church. Deacons serve, pastors shepherd. Deacons meet physical and administrative needs. Pastors lead in meeting spiritual needs. We complement one another. That's why we have deacons. Let's move on to your second major point on your outline, and that's the qualifications of deacons. The qualifications of deacons you see there in verse 3. Now, we know there's a longer list in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8 through 13. You can write that down if you need to. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8 through 13 talks about deacons more extensively, as you would expect Paul to do, because he's Paul. Luke here, uh, telling the story and reporting it, gives us a great, succinct summary. Verse 3, brothers, choose seven men from among you, known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we'll turn this responsibility over to them. So the first responsibility, or the first qualification of a deacon is that they were members. We call them members today. They would just say, from among you, they belong to the church. You're not going to choose seven guys from outside the church and say, hey, come provide service to our church. Come love our members. Come help our pastors shepherd our members. Those guys don't have a heart there. They don't have any skin in the game, right? But also, you don't know the character and the qualities of those guys. For us at Southview, we have in our bylaws that a gentleman has to be a member of our church for at least 12 months to be considered a deacon and at least 21 years old. Why 21? Well, we had to put it somewhere. And, you know, growing in maturity age-wise that a young man, as he's growing, so they're members of the church. The second sub-point there is qualification of deacons that they're full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. One should lead to the other. If you see someone lacking in wisdom, you might honestly ask, are they lacking in the influence of the Holy Spirit in their life? 
And the Holy Spirit should affect the character of a person to have them realize their shortcomings, their gaps, their needs, in order that they might be made more into the character of Christ. So when we consider the qualifications of deacons in the summary statement here, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Now, earlier this week, I sent an email to our deacons, and I said, hey, I'm not naming any of you by name in my sermon this Sunday, but I am preaching about deacons, so just be ready. But I'm also preaching about why we have deacons, which is church unity. So can you pray for that? Because these guys have a desire to serve you, and they might be the first ones to say in their humility, they're not as full of the Holy Spirit as they want to be. They're not as wise as they want to be, but they desire to be. I think the thing about our deacons is this, and I've said this, anytime we've had a gentleman in our church that has been nominated by you as a deacon, that's our process, that just like this, the church body says these guys ought to be deacons. It's not so much that we call out a man to be a deacon, we simply say, yep, that guy's already got the character of a deacon. We're not saying we want you to be a deacon. We're saying you already act like a deacon. You've already got the heart of a deacon. You've already got the wisdom of a deacon. You already serve like a deacon. We're just saying, come on, guy. We're recognizing the fact that God has already called you and equipped you, and we're going to lay hands on you just as the Bible does here in order to symbolically anoint you for that ministry of the Holy Spirit, which is the deacon ministry, to preserve the unity of the church and to complement the role of pastors in the church. So the question here is, what character do we seek in deacons? What character do we seek in deacons? Well, I think it's that same sort of character. After you all nominate them as deacons, what we do as deacons and pastors is we do an interview process. We call them up on the phone and say, hey, you've been nominated. Would you consider being a deacon in our church? If they say yes, then we send them a questionnaire. Uh, why a questionnaire? So we're looking at apples to apples, and we can ask them about their salvation, about their call to ministry, about their giftedness, about their talents and experience, and all sorts of things like this. And then we, as pastors and deacons, present them back to you as a church to say, We've interviewed these guys that you nominated. We believe they're called to be deacons. Do you agree with us? And you're going, yeah, we already nominated them. Of course we do. But it's a matter of doing due diligence, right? And so we seek godly men of character to serve in this role. So we saw the need for deacons. We see the qualifications for deacons. And now the third point on your outline, we see the setting aside of deacons. Setting aside of deacons We do the same thing today because we see it right here in Scripture. You know, there are some churches that add a lot of ritual to what they do and how they do it. And there's some beauty in that, to go into a a church that looks like a cathedral, you know, and has stained glass that tells stories and the way they say their prayers and the symbolism and they do things. But we're not as ritualistic because we're Baptist, because we're evangelical, because we follow a free church tradition. But the things we do, we do because we see them in Scripture. The reason we have a baptistry behind the um, blind back here is in order we see in Scripture that people were baptized by immersion, therefore we baptize by immersion. The reason we observe the Lord's Supper regularly, we see in Scripture that they observe the Lord's Supper regularly. And the reason we lay hands on pastors and deacons is we see in Scripture. They laid hands on pastors and deacons. So we pretty much do what we see in Scripture, and if we don't see it in Scripture, Maybe we don't do it around here. But the setting aside of deacons, verse 5, the proposal pleased the whole group. 
And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Now, remember, Luke likes to foreshadow. Why do you think he named Stephen? Well, look at chapter 7 in your heading. Stephen's speech to the Sanhedrin. Look on in chapter 8 and see what happens to Stephen. And look again there as you go on. Also, Philip, he's the top of the list of the other six guys because look at what happens in the rest of chapter 8 is Philip. We're going to hear about him coming up. Then you get these five other gentlemen named. And the last one noted is a convert to Judaism. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Why do we do that? Because the first church did that. So your sub-point there is that they're chosen by the church. They're chosen by the church just like we do. That you nominate guys and you say we believe these guys are called to deacons. And you chose them. And then the second sub-point there. They're ordained by the pastors. In this case, they're ordained by the pastors because there were no other deacons, right? These are the first deacons. So there were only really the apostles is what I should have said to be absolutely accurate there, but I'm trying to apply it to our situation. They're ordained by the apostles, the pastors of that church at that time, and set aside for this ministry. And they put their hands on them. So that leads to question for application. That's how do we select deacons. And you know what? I got ahead of myself in my outline and I already answered this one, right? You nominate them, we interview them, and we present those that are willing and we believe called back to you to vote on as a church, then we lay hands on them. That's how we at Southview select deacons. So in our sermon today, we come to our fourth and final point, and that's the results of deacons. We saw the need for deacons. We saw the qualifications for deacons. We saw the setting aside of deacons. And now your fourth point, the result of deacons. In the first church, the result for deacons is astounding because what God is doing, moving with power and the acts of the Holy Spirit through healing and miracles and signs and wonders, and then the filling of the Spirit that was so palpable in that early church. Look at what it says in verse 7. So the word of God spread, the numbers of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. They're already in the thousands or tens of thousands, but the number of disciples increased rapidly. It's interesting to know that those two verbs there, spread and increase, are again Imperfect tense, meaning it's ongoing, it's not stopping. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith as well. It's almost like Luke adds that on to say it wasn't just the regular people, but people that were trained in Scripture, people who had served the Jewish model of religion, said, whoa, this is the Messiah, this is the truth, and we need to follow this way as well. So your first sub-point there is that the Word of God increased. There was effective evangelism and discipleship. They were winning people to Christ, growing folks for Christ. We, as a church, have growing Christ followers as our purpose statement, but it's also our mission. We think about being disciples. We should ask ourselves two questions. One is, who am I discipling? And the other is, who is discipling me? That we're always in these relationships with somebody as a mentor or a protege, as a disciple or a disciple maker, where we're learning and where we're growing in an intentional relational environment. We have some small groups started in homes called home groups. We'll have more starting. And you'll hear that sort of thing and that philosophy of relational discipleship of disciples who make disciples as we go on throughout this year. Your second sub-point there 
Is it because of deacons, because of them following God like they did here, the number of Christ followers increased in an ongoing, exponential fashion, even priests trusting Jesus as their Savior? Which leads to that final question, and that is, how does our church benefit from deacons? Verse 7 in our text and our fourth point here really is a conclusion of our sermon because it's the conclusion of the text. It comes to this climax. And when we see deacons in our church as well, they serve in every sort of role and they're foundational to the unity of our church. They know you and you know them and you work together to meet the needs of our church. They assist you as they're able and you share thing, as you share their needs with them, you seek to find answers and solutions with you through prayer and conversation and partnership and ministry. They serve our church and preserve and protect our church's unity in order that the gospel might be preached and that disciples might be made. The gospel would go out and we would grow as followers of Jesus. That leads us to our scripture memory verse of the month and that scripture memory verse of the month from last week's sermon. Let's read it all together. Acts 5.42, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Acts 5.42. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, it is our joy and privilege as always to gather together to worship, even though today just feels a little bit sweeter. And it's our joy and our privilege today to look back to see the establishment of the deacon ministry. Both the need that caused it, but also the underlying foundational issue that deacons can help address even today with protecting the unity of the church in order that the gospel might continue to go out. So God, we thank you for the deacons who have so faithfully served our church through generations We thank you, Father, for the deacons that are among us today that you have called out to yourself. And we thank you, Father, that in partnership for the gospel, seeking the unity of our church to preserve and protect the gospel, that these men have said yes to your calling. And Father, as we stand to sing, we think about the need for the gospel in our lives. And if there's anyone here who's never trusted Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord, that they might make that decision today and make it known public. And God, if there's any of us here today that have anything else we need to confess or give to you, that we, if we haven't already, would give that to you right now freely. If any forgiveness needs to be asked or offered, we'd do that. Whatever you call us to, God, we thank you for your presence among us by the Holy Spirit today and that we can gather together. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.